Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is most certainly true. Jesus is alive and death is dead. His tomb is empty and our hearts are full. His promises are fulfilled. The victory has been won. Easter brings fullness and life and joy and meaning and hope into our lives and brings them in fullest measure. Our songs of Alleluia will never end. Join us to worship our risen Lord with this Easter sermon recently delivered at Grace. The Holy Gospel, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. It is the basis for the sermon today. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, faces, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Nice to meet you, Luke. I'm so glad you found me. I am indeed 
Cleopas, the one you've been looking for. And I want to thank you for taking the time not only to find me, but to ask me what happened on that day. I know it was some 20 years ago, but I remember it as though it were yesterday. So you asked, here's, here's what happened. My friend and I were trudging down the path from Jerusalem to our little village here called Emmaus, and we were deep in conversation, so much so that we didn't hear the birds chirping, the bugs buzzing, and the wind rustling branches and leaves. Everything got pushed to the corners of our consciousness. We couldn't stop thinking about what had happened. We went to Jerusalem for Passover, and we were not full-time followers of Jesus because he had not called us to be part of that inner group of 12, but we had picked up on all the stories, and every time he came to Jerusalem for a festival, we made it a point to be there, watch, and listen. And oh, how we hoped that he would be the Messiah. But, but those hopes swirled down the train as we heard about his rude and rough arrest and the accusations and the sentencing, wee hours of the night kangaroo court, we hustled to the edges of the crowd that gathered outside the governor's palace and heard them shout, Crucify him! louder than a crowd shouting at the seventh match of Gladiators Championship Finals. And we were stunned to hear the governor switch his verdict of not guilty to an execution order. So we ended up following the trail of blood in the dust all the way to Skull Hill. Heard the catcalls, watched him hang on the tortured timbers, heard his hellish holler, witnessed his head drop in death. We followed Joseph and Nicodemus and some of the women to the burial site. Now, after a few days, there's rumor, wild and crazy rumor, that his body is no longer in the tomb. It's just all too much. It was all too much. So we headed back to our village, and we were, we were just thinking about and concentrating on everything that had happened. And, and all of a sudden, there was this, this stranger walking alongside of us. He must have noticed our slumped shoulders and our furrowed brows and our frowns and so he asked, what, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Well, Luke, I, I told him what I'm telling you now. And like I said, I remember it's 20-some years ago. I remember like yesterday. And I'll tell you what, Luke, and I know that you are a physician by trade, so I'm going to be honest and not afraid to tell you that if you at that moment had administered to us 
a list of depression symptoms, you know, like hopelessness and persistent sadness and feelings of worthlessness and helplessness and a loss of interest in activities and hobbies, a loss of energy, disrupted sleep patterns and changes in appetite, even to the point of giving up. If you would have administered such a symptom list to us about depression, we would have probably checked every box, especially the first one, no hope. But then, I tell you, Luke, uh, that stranger chided us for not making the obvious connection between the prophecies and predictions of Scripture and what had happened. And that stranger, I got to tell you, he opened our eyes and made our hearts burn. Some years ago here at Grace Church, after a funeral, one of the guests said to me, the relatives here are obviously sad, but they also seem as though they have joy. How can that be? I said, actually, your observation is accurate. They do have joy. But it's not because Grandpa is reunited with Grandma. And it's not because Grandpa can keep fishing now without having getting interrupted by having to go to work. No, it's because they know that Grandpa is with Jesus. And they know what Jesus did for Grandpa and for them. And they know that Jesus is alive. And Jesus promises life to all who trust in him. Yes, they have joy. Joy is burning in their hearts, not some giddy, giggling kind of joy, but deep inner joy because sins are forgiven and heaven's doors are open. If Cleopas and his companion had really been listening to the words of God, they would have hopped over hopelessness like a little kid hopping over a garden snake. They would have known that Jesus had to die. But isn't it true that, isn't it true that all of us have to deal with that sometimes? Not really listening to the words of God, Good, pious, upstanding, church-going disciples of Jesus today are just like the disciples of long ago. Sometimes we don't really listen to the words of God. We sit in church, worship service after worship service, Sunday after Sunday, but sometimes the words of God slide off like water off a duck's back, in one ear and out the other, and all the while frustrations are building up, hassles with the boss, arguments at home, anxiety over finances, dealing with naughty kids, a lack of self-esteem, and the pressures pile up to the point where we too often easily fall into the path of the poison snake of hopelessness. And then what? Where do we turn? Sometimes we feel like giving up. Such was the hopelessness of Cleopas and his companion. But notice that the stranger did not say, did not say, well, you've got a lot of good memories about Jesus. Just hold on to those. Or, nor did he say, well, you know, you followed him as faithfully as you could and you liked him a lot and he seems to have liked you and, you know, just be glad that you didn't get caught and killed. No, 
Here's what the stranger said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The, the Bible writer Luke doesn't recall and record all the details of that conversation. But can't you just imagine what Jesus was saying in conversation with these two Emmaus disciples? I mean, just imagine what that would have been like. For, them, for him to explain what the scripture said and predicted about what had happened and about who he was and what he had come to do. Within earshot of Adam and Eve who had no hope of getting out of Satan's clutches into which they had plopped themselves, God said to the devil, one descended to this woman is going to come into the world and crush your power, Satan, although in the process you will cause that Savior to suffer. Isn't that what happened? In the next couple books of the Bible, God laid out requirements for the nation of Israel. Included in them was a whole series of animal sacrifices to teach the Israelites, you are sinners and you have to pay for sin with bloodshed, with death. Isn't that what Jesus did? In the fourth, fifth book of the Bible, God speaks through Moses that the coming Savior would be a great prophet. Isn't that what Jesus was? Through King David and the Psalms and prophets like Isaiah and others, specific details about the coming Savior were predicted. Great details like the village where he would be born, a virgin birth, he would lead a lowly life, he'd be betrayed by a friend, taunted by his enemies. He would have his side pierced, no bones broken, his clothes gambled for. Even the exact words that he spoke from the cross were recorded by King David a thousand years before it happened. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the Psalms, King David has the Messiah speaking through him to the Heavenly Father. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Didn't it all come true? With every passage... This stranger was snuffing out their hopelessness and kindling in them the flame of joy. By the time they reached their home village, they just, they implored the stranger, stay with us. And he did. And then, can't you just see it? Sitting around the supper table, eating this meal, and then the Lord Jesus reveals himself and disappears. He took over the role of host, even though he was a guest. He took bread, gave thanks, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Their eyes were opened to recognize a glimpse of Jesus, but better yet, the eyes of faith were opened to the truths of Scripture. Jesus really had paid for their sins, and he really was alive to prove it's true. Oh, he made their hearts burn with joy. Why wait? Why wait until hopelessness nudges its way up the depression symptom list. Why not listen to and apply God's words, the words of Scripture, to your heart right now? Listen to God's words as he pokes at your weaknesses so that you are willing to admit, well, 
the problems at work and at home, most of it can all be traced to my poor judgment, my big mouth, my selfishness, my selfishness, my sin. I need, I need the complete erasure, the erasure of the slate of my sin, or I will end up hopeless forever. Then, then, listen carefully and listen again and again to the declaration of erasure. As God spoke through the prophet Joel, their blood guilt I will pardon, and many other passages. That's, that's what makes our heart burn. Not heartburn the one word thing, which is really not about the heart, but really acid reflux in the esophagus. But two words with a dash in between, heart, dash, burn. Jesus erases hopelessness and he makes our hearts burn with joy. How often have you heard the Bible passage, in all things God works for good for those who love him. God works out good for those. How, how often have you heard that? Many of you know it from memory. God works for the good of those who love him. Nice passage, great passage, comforting passage. But what happens? Some trouble or tragedy strikes, and sure enough, we're asking, Lord, what are you doing? And why are you letting this happen to me? And doubts come up, and we get uncertain about the future. These Emmaus disciples, Cleopas and his companion, not only had hopelessness about their current circumstances, but they also had hopelessness and uncertainty about the future. They had heard Jesus talk about establishing a kingdom. They had heard him predict about coming back to life, rising on the third day, but now it was the third day. The Romans were still in charge of Palestine. There was no new earthly Israelite kingdom. And the reports were so confusing. Some women had gone to the tomb and they saw angels. Then a couple of their buddies went and checked it out. They didn't see angels and Jesus they did not see. Well, it, it seemed pointless. Might as well walk home to Emmaus and pursue a different career. This following Jesus stuff is just not panning out. Such hopelessness. But did you notice that Jesus did not say to them, he did not say, well, hang in there, things are bound to get better. No. He directed them to the words of God. He pointed out the predictions, the prophecies, and prophecies fulfilled and made it perfectly clear. If God can keep predictions and prophecies about the coming Savior, he surely knows how to handle your future. And with every passage... Jesus was snuffing out their hopelessness and kindling in them a flame of confidence. By the time they reached their home and Jesus gave them a glimpse of himself, they, they just had to hustle back to Jerusalem and report that to the others. No worries about thieves. No worries about darkness. No worries about obstacles or wild animals. They just had to go back and report because Jesus made their hearts burn with confidence. What? What do the words and promises of God do for you. When you really stop and think about all that was predicted and prophesied and all that what Jesus did to fulfill, when you really think about that, what does that do for you? Doesn't, doesn't that just make your heart beat just a little faster and 
Your lungs fill with air and your inner self swell with confidence. Oh, my, how the Lord fills us with such great confidence. His gift of peace through God and protection in the sphere of his love in this life and in the world to come stand forever. Jesus fills our hearts with confidence. Our hearts are burning with confidence because Jesus erases hopelessness. From the, from the opening paragraph of today's worship service, here's what it says. Sometimes it seems impossible to see the light at the end of the tunnel. When he met them on the road to Emmaus, the living Jesus gave two down-and-out disciples what he always gives, hope. What a thrill it is for us today to walk with the Emmaus disciples. And today when you walk out those doors and head down the sidewalk to Bible class, you can lift your eyes heavenward and you can say, Thank you, Jesus, for giving me heart burn. My heart's burning with joy and with confidence. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.